Unreal. Uncensored. Unradio. Cliffcentral.com. The Daily Maverick Show on Cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon, you're tuned into the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. As usual, I'll be your host, Kingsley Kipuri, for the next hour. I was away last week. I'm really, really happy to be back. I really did miss talking to you. I'm joined in studio, as usual, by my partner in crime, Greg Nicholson. Greg, always good to be here with you. Thanks for having me once again. Fantastic. We've got quite a full house in here. We'll be talking all things education. Um, it's always the big, big thing in the country, and we keep bemoaning and talking about how pretty much it feels like everything's going to shit. We're spending money, and it feels like the results aren't coming back. So we have some people who actually know a lot more than me to tell us about what's really going on. So we'll go one at a time and just get an idea of the, the experience and, and the ideas of some of the people we have in the room. We'll start off with, with Melanie Smuts, someone I've had the pleasure of working with in the past. Melani, why don't you tell us, you know, a bit about, you know, who you are and how you, how you find yourself in the education space? Hey, King. Yeah, so um, I'm actually not an educator. I started out as a lawyer. Um, but when I was a law student at UCT, I became very involved in education projects, largely working out of Kailicha. Um, and like a lot of people, I was like, oh, my God, this can't go on this way. Um, so that's when I really realized that I had this huge passion for for education and, and a massive realization of what was going on um, and then over the years um, I tried to think about how I could do less law and more education yeah. until one day I bet everything on uh, going to a school in rural India to look at some of the low cost independent school models there and I was like you know what if I can be in a village in India where I can't find milk but I can see awesome educational mm. stuff there's ways to do this in South Africa and I came back and I started something called Streetlight Schools. Um, Streetlight Schools is operating out of Town in the inner city of Johannesburg. And what we're doing is innovating on what education looks like to create high-quality primary schools um, at a low cost. Um, so we're trying to benchmark with some of the top-performing schools in South Africa um, at about half of current government spend per learner. Um, we started with a little pilot program, just mm. a tiny little classroom that was a storeroom in a room in a in a building in Jeppistown. Um and now we're on our way to opening our first school in January 2016. Wow, exciting times! So, yeah. so we're full-on school coming on pretty soon. Yep, fantastic! Can't wait to hear more about that. All right, next up we have Atambile Masola, um, who's a teacher, has a master's in education, and, and is writing and, and and doing a lot of talking around all things education. Ooh. Atambile, how did you find yourself in this space? So I was that person who kind of thinks she wanted to do education from like matric. Okay. Um, I told my teacher, she kind of gave me this blank look. My English teacher, my favorite teacher. So you said you want to be a teacher. I, I told her. I was like, I'm <laughs> going to be a teacher. And she was floored because she was like, yeah, you could be a politician. You could be, I mean, that's what they were geared towards. Me okay. becoming a politician. I was just like, I have no interest. Mm. So I kind of geared my studies at Rhodes towards education. I did a bit of literature. And then I started volunteering. There's a student volunteer program at Rhodes. Okay. Where the big thing that got me involved was a literacy club at one of the high schools. So working it weekly with high school kids, which really opened my eyes. And then I studied further and looked at literacy in primary schools where I worked with teachers just to see what are their ideas about what they're doing. If someone's been teaching for 23, 25 years, mm. what's going on in that setting? And 
backdrop to that was the outcomes of the pearls. So it was a huge thing when I was doing my honours and everyone was just like, what's going on when we were right at the bottom of the barrel? So that kind of made me sit up and think, okay, I can do this. So I kind of started in the classroom, but I'm more interested in, I think, writing about education, finding out what other people are doing, um, because there's just so much more than what is happening in the classroom and what we are hearing in the newspapers. So I think that's largely how I find myself in education. But mostly I'm in the classroom, and that's something I really enjoy. Okay, and I hope when your students say they want to be teachers, you don't give them a dodgy Oh, look. my gosh, I'm their biggest champion. <laughs> okay. In fact, I'm forcing it down their throat, and I probably should stop. So your whole class is <laughs> yeah, going to be teachers. Yeah, they're all going to be teachers. I already have one um, earmarked. So. Okay, so you're grooming. <laughs> I'm grooming, yeah. We'll see where it takes us. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Atambile. Next up is Lebang Nong. Um, some have called you the king of maths and science in Soweto. So, uh, the best students from that area always seem to be taught by you. Lebang, how did you find yourself uh, where you are today? Um, well, my, my story is a bit different from uh, the fellow people that are here. So I started my program in 2004. Uh, in 2004, well, I was in a school in Almond in Soweto. Mm. So my maths teacher was involved in a car accident. So we didn't have a maths teacher for three months directly. And you can imagine the stress that was, you know, amongst us as young people. And then that's when I actually took the liberty to be a teacher while I was still a student. So I taught my classmates and then I taught my school. Then I started teaching other schools around my neighborhood. And, you know, 10 years later, the program has actually grew to producing top students. And when I say top student, we're talking about students that come with like low marks, like 20%. Mm. You know, those students, we're like, no, go to maths literacy. Mm. Those kind of students, we take those kind of students and we literally take them to 80%. And there's more, of course, we'll talk about it. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I mean, I don't know how you get somebody from 20% to 90%. Yeah. I just want to make it clear that I've got no teaching experience, okay. no education experience whatsoever. Yeah. But, you know, that's me. Okay. Because you, know, I mean, yeah. you were next up on the list. <laughs> I <know>. <laughs> Okay. I mean, I think the first question is just back to how we framed is, is we hear so much, uh, a lot of general statements that education is terrible, whatever that means to people like me who are not, who are not directly in the space of formal education. So I'd love to hear from, from, from you who are actually in the space every day. Um, is what, is what do you think of the current state in the country and, and, uh, and, and how you seeing it play out at a micro level? What does it actually mean day to day in the class from some of the challenges we're facing? So I suppose we can go the other way around, Labang, if you don't mind. Um, um, so when you hear people talking about state of education, state of education, as an educator who's in the classroom every day, what, what's your view on that and how yeah. do you see it playing out? Um, basically, uh, the people on the ground, which is us, right? Um, look, in terms of mathematics, it's very disturbing. I mean, um, South Africa, I think now it's like the second last in the world and we are a developing country. So for me, I mean, I'm very worried about the maths in South Africa because now if you look at it, if you don't have maths, there's nothing wrong if you don't do maths, but we cannot have everyone doing maths literacy. That means that, you know, skills like engineering, skills like economics, you know, they're literally going to be affected by that. So I think it's very important that um, us on the, on the ground, as teachers, different fields, I mean, she's doing amazing work, she's doing amazing work, all of us collaborate to come up with solutions to actually fix the department, I mean, to fix the, the, the state of, of the nation in terms of the education system. Because I think it's more to us and the society as well. Because we cannot only blame and say government this, but I think the society, the parent, the kid, the NGOs, all different people integrating to come up with one solution to fix the education system. Okay, so you think you, you, you sound like collab, you sound like you're saying collaboration is collaboration is very key. So bring the family and the society and the yep. community into that. I mean, the African proverb says it all. <laughs> well, I'm trying to remember. I was trying to just wrap it off. It's, it takes a, a, a village to raise a child. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. So basically, it's an integration of, of collaboration amongst different partners, stakeholders. Okay. And that's we all need each other to make sure that that kid, that learner, literally achieves her dream. That's okay. our code, by the way, is KPE. Achieve a dream. <laughs> Hashtag nice. achieve a dream. Yeah. I like the plugin. <laughs> Um, tell me, what about you, Atambile? What, what are we missing? We're spending a lot of money. We're not yeah. getting the results. What, what do you think is missing? I think for me, when I think of education system, we have to – got it's, it's quite stratified, right? So private schools are doing pretty well. Um, former Model C schools are doing pretty well. But you've got schools for the majority of the kids who aren't doing well, mostly poor kids. And I think there – I think it's a lot of what he's saying. Um, we need a lot more collaboration. I think there's something's been broken and – We've never been able to quite fix it. So for me, literacy, maths, and um, teachers. I think if we could get more teachers, there's the, we could have a different conversation about what's happening. Um, and I think we, if we start looking at education in terms of the, how stratified it is, then you start thinking about different solutions for different sectors, right? So, And this is not to say certain people get certain privileges, but I'm thinking if a school's doing well, let the school do well. Let's pour more resources into schools that aren't doing well. And right now I still think we, we think of education in this broad and general, yeah. everyone it looks the same, but not everyone looks the same. And I think even in schools where we would typically think this school is in a community that isn't doing well. There are some schools in Soweto, in Deep Kloof, or wherever the case is, that are doing really good things. And we're not, because we've kind of put them in this umbrella term of poor schools and poor areas, mm. we're not giving them the chance to shine. And I think that's very unfair. So we need to separate what exactly in education is the problem before we just say education is in a state of crisis. Um, because I, I think that crisis mode either can cripple us or it doesn't, it doesn't give us the right tools to approach the issue. Um, and I think that's troubling. Um, and it's also quite alarmist. You know, you get a sense where people don't, don't get a sense that they can do something, right? So whatever I do is a drop in the ocean. Mm. Whereas you've got to look specifically, I think, one sector to, uh, one space to another space. Um, so, yeah, I think it depends the perspective that you're using and from which side you, okay. you're coming from. Okay, so a more targeted approach. A more targeted about, approach, yeah, and it's not just general. Okay, Milan is just about to jump in. Let's hear it, Milan. Um, yeah, I mean, I want to reinforce. Uh, let's just throw some statistics out of the out there. Like uh, the top performing, the top twenty percent schools in South Africa perform equivalent to Singapore. Uh, which is one of the best school systems in the world. The bottom 20% perform equivalent to Yemen, mm. one of the most underdeveloped, um, conflict-ridden places in the world, right? So uh, where the average marriage age of a girl is like 11. So, so, so when we talk about two different education systems, that's, that's the scale at which we're talking about. And when we're talking about what's going wrong in the education system and what we need to, to fix – we're talking about how do we get schools from Yemen into schools from Singapore standard. That's not, that's not, that's not an easy task. That's a very um, big job. Um, and, and what that looks like in terms of, of kids coming out of these, these neighborhoods is very often that kids will go through to grade six or grade seven. That's, that's half of their schooling still functionally enumerate and illiterate. So children are still struggling with basic concepts. If, if, if I, if I think about some of the work in Jeppistown, um, a kid will come in and you'll be like, what's 243? And you, and you say to them, it's 200 plus 40 plus three. That's not something they will have grasped by grade six. Now that's not someone who, that's, you need to do a lot of intervention to get that kid to the point mm -hmm. where they can go on to be an engineer or, or a statistician. 
Um, similarly, in literacy, we're talking about people who who, who still struggle with um, three-letter or four-letter words. Um, so, 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 and 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 I think the other thing that's very important is um, we focus a lot on grade ten to twelve maths mm. and science in this country, um, but all of the research everywhere shows that unless you intervene in the early years, the first couple of years of schooling, the resources you have to pool into getting those kids back um, on track later, um, you, you'll have to sp- spend more money than, than we have, mm. you know. Um, and that's a big problem in South Africa. People talk a lot about how much we spend in education. We spend on average 18 times more than other African countries who have better educational results than we do, uh, countries like Tanzania or Kenya. Um, so, so, and that really brings me to the thing that I feel very passionate about and, 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 and that's that rich schools or poor schools, regardless, the way in which we're doing education is wrong. This, this focus on having kids, um, learn in a, in the same way that they were learning under the apartheid era isn't the way that, that we're going to bring kids into being equipped, um, and engage citizens in the 21st century. So we, we, we need to relook at the way, when we say we want to address the education crisis, we need to look at what are the new things that we can bring in, um, to, to make education more relevant and more impactful. We don't have to, we don't have to get those schools to look like schools from 80 years ago. We can, we can think about how do we move into the future. And that's very exciting because once you introduce those innovations, and this is the story I want people to know, once you do start doing things about it, um, the change is drastic and very quick because kids are smart, they like learning, they are engaged and they're interested in stuff. So once you put them in a, in a, in a good educational environment and you support their learning, the turnaround is um, three to six months, I'd say. Three to six months yeah. to catch up on. Yeah. Sort of and that's, and that's what Levang is talking about as well. Once you get a kid into an environment where they're motivated and they feel like, yeah, I can do this. And, mm. and then, and, and, mm. and then you support that. You can get a kid who's failing math to, to, I mean, we do this as well. Yeah. You can get a kid who's failing math to, to get to 80%. It's, 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 it's possible. And I think that's a conversation that, that I'm not hearing in, in, the, in, in South Africa in mm. general is it's possible to address this education mm. crisis. We should be talking about that. I mean, it's great to hear a sense of hope that you can get from 30 to 90% and it's not an anomaly. That's not just a genius, a genius boy or girl who was just sitting with this Einstein brain that it's, it's possible in the right sort of system. Amalani, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up this idea of innovation because I often struggle and feel like, I almost feel like, is it a luxury? Because there's been a move in the past, I said, what, five to 10 years about moving away from teaching subjects and we want to teach creativity. Mm. We want to teach independent thinking. Um, we want to teach all these other things. Mm. And I often sit there and I'm thinking, is this a luxury? Should South Africa actually be aspiring to this standard? Or mm. should we just make sure first that we have blackboards <laughs> and we have teachers? Or, you know, I don't know. Am I, is it silly thinking? I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Should we mm. still be striving for this global best practice? Or is it something we need to just put off and make it like a 30-year project? It's a great question. Yeah. And I think uh, it's something that, that I don't think there's an answer, but yeah. I think that what we should have is a debate. Okay. So, so, um, so for one thing, I think, you know, and this is what I was saying earlier, getting kids to the basics is actually very expensive and ineffective because the way that we're doing that is by paying teachers to do work that isn't necessarily helping kids get to the basics. So, um, things like creativity are very important. Um, because they teach basic literacy skills. 
um, it's not it's not a luxury. It's actually an essential. Mm. So so so, and that's why that's why why we and I, again, I'll just use. Um, examples from from what I know, which is our work in Jeppistown, we started with nothing. We ran this organization for the first year on like like much 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 less than than um, what a, a a government school in Soweto would get per year. Um, but we did. We focused on things like having kids draw or having mm. kids ask questions or having kids just play or, you know, things that, that aren't prioritized in, in, in the school system now, but don't cost anything. Um, and just by saying, you know what, hey, let's just make space for this stuff, we saw a lot of drastic improvements. Um, and in the same way, introducing technology, um, if done correctly, there's lots of bad examples mm. of of people just dumping computers into mm. schools and thinking they've done something there. Um, but if you introduce technology effectively, um, that's still cheaper than a, a teacher. So, so there are ways to do this work um, that, that are hits at the essentials, um, but that aren't going to break the bank. Um, the things that are expensive and essential um, are things like school feeding. Um, that we should do, but a lot of okay. So that's know. not that's not a luxury. That's, that's not a luxury. But that's a must. necessity. And I think yeah. that those are the things that we need to talk about. Is like what are the what are the musts? Um, that's something we should do. I mean, I love that you brought up technology because I mean, and the bad examples too. Because I think there's been an assumption that if every kid has an iPad, then yeah. you know we're halfway there. But I think it's small things. I mean, Lebang, I was looking at the Facebook page for Katleho Pele Education and there were conversations happening there. It was just, please inbox me those quadratic, edu- uh, quadratic <laughs> equation answers. <laughs> and there was literally a classroom happening right there. Yeah. And I think for me, that was just an example of such a small way, right? So there's no iPads, there's no giant Gauteng government rolled out infrastructure. <laughs> it's just a small conversation where the people, yeah. the kids can talk to the teacher on the weekend and do homework. Is that something that you're using actively? Um, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons, I mean, I like what you just said about um, before, like grade nine going downwards, mm. looking at the other results, 11% in terms of maths and, and, and you know, literacy, which is very bad. Oh, check one, two, one, two. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you got to have a bit of energy. That's it. Um, I mean, looking at the literacy, maths and literacy, you got like 11%. But the most important thing that now introducing the debate that you almost spoke about, I'm a teacher as well. Mm. Um, the, as much as technology could literally be put in place, but we still need the teacher to mm. ensure that the assessment takes place. Mm. Because you, you cannot have one without the other. You yeah. see what I mean? And uh, a perfect example is, is what they use in America, because I was in America. Sorry to touch on I know you're going to touch on it a bit later. <laughs> they have an app where they literally just conversate with their teacher, but the teacher is still present because the child literally needs feedback from the teacher. So it's very important that the teacher is also present. Now, looking at what we do as, as, as KPE, I mean, we teach kids in rural areas like Guiane. Uh, we literally go, in, I mean, we go into Ulundi next month where we're going to be doing these classes. And I bear in mind that most of these kids don't have smartphones, but they have future phones, but they can access the Facebook page. So they can literally just download that, 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 that image that I literally do. And it helps. We get a lot of feedback from the kids to say, Mr. Labang, how do I do the sum? I actually looked at the sum, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So the issue is that we need to bring access. Mm. As much as we bring technology, it needs to be widespread yeah. okay. in the nine provinces, not just one province, nine provinces, so that each and every child, wherever they, they are, they get this access. That means that they've got an equal opportunity to be successful regardless of where they are. Mm. Yeah. I think that's the biggest point I should do. But the teachers are needed. 
people should not get that wrong. You can bring the technology, mm. but you still need a teacher. And I hear you because I would think there would be attention. I mean, in putting myself in a teacher's shoes of thinking yeah. I might be replaced. If you have the Khan Academy sort of YouTube videos and so on, you know, is that replacing? Is that replacing my? No, <laughs> no, it shouldn't. Yeah. I think it should enhance what teachers do in the classroom. Yeah. Um, but there is a real fear amongst teachers that technology is threatening what we do in the classroom, and I think it's unwarranted. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't want to make it a controversial statement, but I think no, it's yeah. also a, gen- a, a generational thing. So if a teacher's been doing this for 30 years mm. and this is tried and tested for 30 odd years that they've been doing it, I think they're going to have a hard time now being told, well, here's Khan Academy. You don't really have to do what you used to do anymore. Here's a YouTube clip. It destabilizes the position of the teacher in a different way. Yeah. Whereas if you've got younger teachers or teachers who are inclined towards um, technology, not to be ages, you, you see that in a different way. You approach that in a different way and it enhances what you want to do as a teacher. So in my mind, the two can sit comfortably together. In fact, you know, I think a teacher who can find good media to use mm. in the classroom, the kids are more engaged in a different way. And you encourage the students to bring in the media into the classroom so that there's the seamlessness of knowledge outside of the classroom and inside the classroom. And then that makes education or teaching or knowledge a little more meaningful. But it's not a luxury, I think. I think the two can and must sit together. Okay, so there is a way to meet the basic essentials, <laughs> like like food and and and, and sanitation, <laughs> or still actually. And also, I mean, I just want to again just a point on technology and yeah. essentials. Mm-hmm. Labang was talking about how he didn't have a math teacher for three months. Yes. Yeah. Um, imagine if if in those three months he had access to Khan Academy, um, how much less stressful school would have been for for them. The first school I worked in in Kailicha, they didn't have a math teacher for eight months. Um, how are those kids supposed to, because there's a massive teacher shortage. So we talk about teachers replacing technology, technology replacing teachers like we have a surplus of teachers. teachers to be replaced. <laughs> but we're missing, like we're, we're, I mean, now we're, we're closing those gaps, yeah. but, but we're like several hundred thousand qualified teachers short in this country. It's not like there's an abundance of teachers. So so it's not that we're replacing teachers. We're trying to close the gaps of how many teachers are missing in the system. And I hear you, and I think I think it could surely make teachers go further in that yeah. if if you almost have a rotation where kids are watching the videos and so on, you can have one teacher teaching two schools, for mm. example. Because when he's not, he or she is not there, the video's there, for example. Yeah, yeah. and it's also about the role of teachers. Yeah. You know, teachers just convey, like, a great teacher inspires learners, they motivate them, they create positive oh. attachment, they, they remediate, they say, you know what, I, you know, they talk to them. That's the role of a teacher. The, that's the real role of a teacher. A real role of a teacher isn't saying, this is a parabola, this is how you draw a parabola, this is the axis. This is, like that conveying of content. Otherwise, we're just robots if we yeah, just do Yeah, uh, that's robot work, right? And that's not the real work of teaching. Um, and if if teachers can do more of the real work of teaching and technology can do more of the robot work of teaching, I think everybody wins. But it's about how you get a system like that right. Well, I hear you. I mean, LeBang, I actually met one of your students last week yeah. and I asked about you secretly. Um, and there was this thing that if they didn't do their homework, there was a conversation between you and their parents to be like, what's going on here? Yeah. And this is what sprung to mind because that's, that's not, that's not like, that's more accountability. That's a, that's a relationship between a teacher and a student and it's less about the content and it's more about you accountable to a person. True. Um, so it sounds like a, maybe an example of the, maybe the real, in quotes, yeah, I mean, real I'm, role I of mean, teaching. When you become a teacher, you're yeah. literally becoming a mentor as well. Yeah. So, but my question is one, you yeah. know, like if you teach in the rural areas, yeah. 
And it's quite difficult to even get the 3G network there. Mm. How do you then bring this Khan Academy there? Because I think the issue, if you look at it, like, I like Khan Academy, don't get me wrong. But I think if you look back, you know, when we had like William Smith back in the day, you know, we had a William Smith, remember? Well, the TV guy. Yeah, the TV guy. (laughs) (laughs) See, look, look, look look at the energy in the room right now. (laughs) He told me. Because he was, you know what I mean? Because we need to have our own hero from South Mm -hmm. Africa so that these kids can literally relate directly Mm. So that they can understand that it's, You know what It's actually possible for me To actually get to university It's actually possible for me To go to whatever university Because mm. I've seen that person mm. Rise from this ash To this other ash So the issue is that We need to look in terms of national Because I get it That's I get it You know I speak my suit It's fine That's where we should be going To say we should not only impact Just a section We should start impacting The whole of South Africa Because remember When you talk about the results You're not talking only about One province And you say World Economic Forum confirms No, it talks about The whole of South Africa Mm. So you need to have A holistic approach On education and that's when you can start having solutions around it. I mean, I hear you. I think I think the focus on Khan Academy was more my fault than anybody else's. I think it's just the most the most recent example I know. Yeah. But I'm sure there's ways we can use newspapers and radio well, and Khan other clever ways. Offline, mm. so really? Yeah, our our Khan Academy yeah. runs completely offline. Okay, so yeah. there are, are sort of clever ways. Natambila, you talked about a targeted approach. So if Gauteng has, has the 3G and whatever, fiber optics, yeah, I mean, you talk about newspapers. Fix. They've had yeah. um, past papers and yeah. newspapers, yeah. magazines tend to do something around prelims or final exams. But as Milani said, that's still at a senior school level. What about the young kids? How can they get access to just reading material for enjoyment? Oh. You know, we have to have a... This idea of high school obsession and the end point is really frustrating because I think it kind of takes our our eyes off where it actually all begins. Um, so I'd like to see more. I mean, I know there's Nali Bali and they're doing things at the Sunday Times and bringing out newspaper readings and l- literacy in all languages. But um, I think there, there's still so much more we can do. Um, and I think what Lebang said right at the beginning, having communities, uh, community projects, just people, I mean, we, we started something in Grahamstown many years ago where it was just reading, people going to the community and reading at a, at a, at a crash okay. after school. You don't need a lot of resources. You need an hour a day at lunchtime to do that. And I think anyone is capable of doing that. The question is, do you have time to do that? And that's when you can start saying, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And, you know, I know there's this disparity between rural and urban, you know, oh, the time it will take me to get to Guyana and all of that. There are ways of getting around that. And there are ways of saying in our community, even though we are impoverished, there are grandmothers, there are mothers who are there who've got the skills to, to stretch, to to reach the children in different ways. So it's not just about the, the, the classroom and the teachers are very important, but it makes our job very difficult as teachers when there isn't a foundation, when there isn't something extra that's actually happening outside the classroom. And something, that's something we don't talk about. You know, what happens when a child leaves my classroom? Are they getting more input? And that's a, just a basic conversation. What happens at home? Who are the adults that they are talking to? Who are the adults that they are being exposed to? No, I'm actually quite curious to hear from Melania Labang. Are you finding... Um, or how are you finding the community support or lack of support around the children you work with? Do they understand what you're trying to do? Do they support it? Do they care? Um, maybe we'll let me start off. <laughs> um, I imagine Labang and my stories will be slightly different. Yeah. Um, I'm not from Jepistown. Okay. I'm an Afrikaans school from Pretoria. So you can imagine the first day I walked into Jepi. <laughs> I said, hey, guys. It was a little I'm strange. Gonna a, I'm going to start a school. <laughs> and, and for a long time, you know, I did feel like, who am I to do this? Who am I to be in this community? Um, but, uh, you know, we're very fortunate because we're partnered with an affordable housing provider. So, um, 
I had access to the homes of most of my families, which is not a luxury afforded to, to most educators. So mm. before, we, before we even started our first pilot classroom, I went into the living room of every single one of my parents and I sat down with them and I was like, what do you want for your child's education? You know, What are your frustrations with the school? Um, what would you like to see more of? You know, What do you feel like your child isn't receiving enough support in? Um, and I would love to tell you that my parents were very engaged. But to be honest, the first couple of months, um, I had a lot of doors shut in my face. I had a lot of people saying, don't bother me right now. I had a lot of pretty angry parents saying like, oh, you're just trying to make money off us. Um, but... Every, but, but, and it took me a long time to realize that actually what it is, is especially in poorer communities, nobody has ever engaged these parents in a meaningful way in the quality of education of their children. Um, but when you, when you commit and you're there every day and you show up, um, and you see these kids improving and your, your parents see that happening, eventually these parents come on board because now you've given them a reason to care. Um, so I think that what we need to recognize is that for parents who were under the the, the yoke of, of the, the really bad years of apartheid education, it's not like they have fond, fond memories of school. Of school. So, so it is difficult. That is a broken relationship. There's a lot of trust issues there. Um, so we've got to do a lot of work at, at winning the respect and earning the trust of these parents. But once you do that and once they start seeing positive um, gains in their kids, uh, then parents do come on board and then they do want to be involved and they do care about what happens in schools. But okay. we've got to do that work first. Just building that trust over we've time. We've got to do that work. We've got to do the hard work, you know. Okay. And Laban, what's, what's your experience in communities with, with, the, with the parents and families of, of some of your learners? I mean, um, I come from such a background as well, like a disadvantaged background. Okay. Uh, the same kind of school as well. And I think, I think it goes back to role models and, you know, very tangible stories. So what I would do, I would have like a dialogue with parents and like call them in and have a success story. Like, for example, there was a student who came to my program with just fifties in June and she literally just got like five distinctions and two Bs. She just graduated now at VITS. Uh, she's a, she's an accountant. Sure. No. You bring the student in the dialogue session. Like, look, you know what? This student went to the same disadvantaged school. There's another one now. He's a chemical engineer. Comes from the same background school. Mm. You bring real life experience. You show results. Impact. Mm. That's measure. This is a student. He came at 50. He's now an engineer. Now he's now buying a mother, his mother a house. Mm. You see, you show them the dream. If it's very difficult for them to see it, look, it's easier. When you're like, there's someone there. Already Kingsley's here. It's easier. But now... Going back to purpose, I think the issue is to centralize the issue of, of purpose. Okay. What do now, you of mean? course, purpose in terms of why do the kids need to study? And, you know, the, 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 the model around after school, clean, uh, do all the chores. By the time the kid wants to study, the child is just tired. Mm. So the issue, that, that's the problem now where you need to get, you know, parents engaging in that sense. So you know what? When your, when your child comes back from, from school, give at least your child a bit of time to rest. So that she can literally start doing her job and then she will cook and do whatever after. Because that's not possible if the parent does not understand why. So there has to be that social contract between the Mm. teachers, the society. It goes back again there. But the the biggest, the biggest worry though is, is rural areas where I would literally teach in the rural areas where now there is no like, you know, access to that computer again. And now you're trying to sell this dream. So you know what? Your child can literally leave the village. 
And this child can literally be at, at university and come back as a graduate. So that's a dialogue that we need to start having from urban, township, mm. and rural schools. Because we need to seek that balance. Because the dialogue is different for every case. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I, li- I like trying to, that you're trying to help settle the, the street life school situation. But your students are a bit younger, so I think it might be a bit tricky in trying to, to find those role models. Um, I mean, yes and no. So, so the streetlight schools, the reason I call the, the, the organization streetlight schools is exactly because of a story like that. It just, it's because my friend Judy Sakuza, um, when she was in primary school, she, she'd go to her mother's house and the electricity would go out some nights. She just wouldn't have the cash for it. Um, and she'd have homework and she'd be like, well, what do I do now? And she'd go sit under the streetlight outside um, mm. her mom's house, and she would do her homework under the under the streetlight. Um, and it's from that where she got a scholarship to a good high school, and then she got a scholarship to university, and she went to uh, do her masters in Colombia, and she also bought her mom a house eventually. So, yeah. so, so there you go. Yeah. Like there, there are loads of examples That's, like that. We need those. Yeah, and yeah, and what definitely. what we also need, we just need, and this is where we need to change the conversation from parents, from communities, from a broader South African audience. We need to say. Like, your pessimism isn't helpful to anyone. This isn't how, if Judy was pessimistic about her future, mm. I promise you now she would, she would not be where she is now. I mean, thanks. So I, th- I was worried that maybe in uh, the lower years we might not have those role models, but clearly we do have lots of them. I, I will say this, the, um, the girls, especially girls do a lot of ho- housework, even at, at primary school, and that is a big issue. Girls go home, they cook, they clean from a very young age. Um, and until we have that conversation with parents about prioritize prioritize your girls' education mm-hmm. over um, over the housework, um, yeah, you've got to, you've got to motivate them for that, and you've got to motivate them with stories like Judy's. I mean, absolutely, and that's really I really want to talk yeah. about gender quite shortly. Mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. We've actually just got a caller on the line, so we'll go to Mr. Vincent, uh, who says he's an educator. Mr. Vincent, what's on your mind? Hi, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good, good. Tell us. Well, thank you, man. I've just been listening to what the lady's been saying. Yes. And, um, yes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think what we've done over the years is we've had, um, we, there's normally a three-pronged approach to education, and the one would be the learner, the second one would be the educator, and the third one, which we normally always forget, is the parent. And I think if I've listened to the stories, there's, wherever you go, even at matric level, you'll find there's, there's a number of stories that lead from... Um, totally uh, impoverished backgrounds, people that don't have facilities, people that don't have um, the necessary resources and still manage to make it out there. I'm, I'm an educator and uh, I do remedial mathematics at um, Sparrow School found, or Foundation School mm-hmm. in um, Melville at the primary school from grades 1 to grade 7. And um, we've been fortunate to have uh, General Electric um, install computers for us as well as um, myself and two other educators install programs that help learners that have barriers to learning. And these are learners that are ADHD, learners that are that have Tourette syndrome, learners that have um, that are autistic, and learners that just generally find it difficult to cope in the normal mainstream. And I promise you, we started off a month in the month of May with the program. And um, we did a baseline test and we did a diagnostic test. And um, at that level, the grade 3s and the grade 6 classes were at 17% and 22% respectively. Within a period of a month of them working on this program, um, they've now moved up to 27 and 38% respectively. Wow. 
So in terms of, and we have an interactive board, we have a data projector within our classroom, all sponsored by General Electric, and big up to them for, for, for having found that, um, you know, there's some reason for them for, for them to invest in learners that have barriers to learning. Mm. And I can only see that this um, this type of program is going to, to increase the results, in, especially in mathematics, which seems to be... Um, Quite an issue in our country. I mean, out of 140 out of 140 countries uh, worldwide, um, we probably rung in at the bottom of the ladder. I mean, absolutely. Um, that's a, such a great story of the private mm-hmm. sector coming to the table. Um, so, anyone listening, if you want to get some stuff sponsored, I suppose give GE a call. <laughs> absolutely. And what we're going to do is um, we're going to try and pull in all those teachers from the the normal mainstream school and then and, and try and get them to come in on a Saturday because that's the other part of our program is that they can come in on a Saturday, they can actually look at what we have on our programs. Um, remember, these are learners that find it difficult to learn in mainstream. And so what we've done, because of our educational programs on the, the, the should I say, on the laptop as well as on the computer, um, which is the trend that the MEC wants to follow these days. I mean, you, you know what the rollout is going to be in terms of the tablets that have been established in schools as well as the the MEC putting it out there that um, in his own hometown, like Tembisa, he's, he's made it all interactive classrooms. That's the future. And these learners who are so technologically advanced, they just seem to lap up all this information, and they just seem to learn quite um, better and, 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 and faster than what normal mainstream learners would do if you follow the normal methodology of teaching and chalk and talk. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen some great work from the Hudson government, so it's absolutely, we really want absolutely. them to keep sort of keep up. Melanie, Melanie, I'm not sure she quite agrees with that. No, sure. But I, um, what I also, what I'm saying to you is, is anybody who would like to get into contact with us and to come and visit and have a look what we have in our, in our remedial maths lab, um, they, they're more than welcome to. We're situated in First Avenue in Melville, just behind, uh, Tampa Square. Um, if they could just give us a call at our, at our uh, school, um, we're happy to set up an appointment for them. Um, a lot of sponsors have come in, and we have a lot of people in and out. And um, I think the the appropriate person to, to make that contact through would be through um, Jacques, our academic manager, or Jackie, our Jackie Gallagher, our CEO. Um, I mean, if it wasn't through through their, should I say, vision, um, I probably would not have landed up at a school like this. Perfect. Um, sorry, Vincent, can I ask that you please, please just share your details on our, on our Twitter page so that everybody can, can see it there? I will do okay, that. Okay, so at DM Shows a Day, and thanks for sharing the great work you're doing with us. You are most welcome, sir. Fantastic. All Thank you so much. Perfect. Take care. Okay. Bye. Um, now, Milani, you brought up um, uh, the conversation of gender and sort of the disadvantaged um, position that, that the female student find, find, finds herself in. Um, you know, firstly, due to a society that doesn't, doesn't often prioritize female education. Secondly, sanitation sort of disproportionately affects, <coughs> affects women. Um, how are you seeing that play out, play out in your spaces? Is the, is the, is the solution to, to give extra attention to the female child and make sure that, that we're sort of bridging that gap? Or, I mean, what, what can we do aside from, of course, providing adequate sanitation? Yeah, definitely. I think the, the physical body, I yep. mean, there's certain, there's so many studies being made about if a girl doesn't have access to sanitary pads, the mm. number of days that she can miss in a school. Now, that's something that is physically different to a boy yeah. that is going to set them apart. Um, and it, it's, it's something that can be a policy issue. It's something that can be a practical issue. How do we support girls in schools to stay in school in spite of the fact that they have gendered bodies? Um, and I think right now that 
conversations happening amongst NGOs mm. and parents. I don't think government is taking that quite seriously yet, which is quite disheartening to see. So a lot of NGOs like Girl Rising are doing a lot of work to say, let's do pamper packs for girls. But it's rather unfortunate to kind of make it as a, it's a side issue. It's not a central issue to how young girls experience education. We also know that girls aren't probably not as safe as school as boys are. If you think of um, gender-based violence in schools with teachers, even with their peers, that girls are being raped and sexually violated yeah. by people inside their schools. So you're looking at safety issues, you're looking at access issues, you're looking at health issues. And, I mean, I could go on. The list is endless about pregnancy. How do you educate mm. girls and boys about that and being responsible without making the burden fall on the girl? Don't, you better not get pregnant, as opposed to a conversation about how do we all have a, a, a responsible approach to sexuality in the school context. So I, I, I'm still quite uncertain about how we're having that conversation. Yeah. In fact, I don't think we, we're taking it quite seriously enough. We've left it to a few people who are interested in goal education rather than making it a central conversation. It's like a platitude or a nice thing that we're doing for so girls. Nice girls. Yeah, we're doing girls and a favor. Be thankful for and we should be so grateful. <laughs> but you know, I mean, there's, there's two things here, and, and it really goes to what Atta is saying about how central this is to um, to the, the conversation. It's not a, a marginal or a peripheral issue. Mm. Um, when you educate women in as as a as a nation, all of the statistics around it show your GD, your GDP goes up. Um, you 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 reduce the risk of intractable social issues, unemployment, violence, all of these things. Um, become far less chronic the more educated your female population is. So when we're talking about why we should be doing this, it isn't because we're doing something nice for the girls. It's because if you look at the impact as a nation on a highly educated girl population – that benefits absolutely everyone. So so that's why we're having this conversation. How we're having this conversation should be about things like access to sanitation is a major issue and we're not addressing it. Um, there's there's virtually no engagement on, on parents who are, are coming with fairly, across cultures and across races, coming with fairly patriarch, patriarchal attitudes towards um Towards, you know, why are we bothering with educating girls at all if they're just going to get married and, and that's the end of that. That's something that was said to me, by the way, like sure. a white middle class girl. So, so imagine what, you know, what is being said to our girls. Um, so, so I, th- I think when we're talking about this conversation, I really don't want it to be a conversation about girls. I mm. want it to be a conversation about a national interest in an educated female population. Um, and the good that does for us as a community. And then looking at how do we level the playing field and where are we being ignorant about um, how that, how a level playing field really, what that really looks like. Um, and, and just being aware that everybody benefits, everybody wins um, when girls are in school and, and achieve. Um, and I think that's also, that's something that, that, that we do have to realize that parents are initially skeptical, but once they... Um, once they see the benefits, then, then you win them over. And I think the last thing I want to say is, um, we need more men in education as well. Mm. Education is seen as a thing for women, you know, like there's a lot of, like the proportion of, 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 of women in education versus the proportion of men is mm. still very disproportionate. We need role models like LeBang out there in school saying, you know what? I care about education. You should care about education. Here's what we're doing about education. We need people to dream about becoming teachers. Um, and we, and, and we need people to actually be those role models and see education as the important 
interesting, sexy enterprise that it actually yeah. is, yeah. as opposed to this like women minding children business, which is is the way that it's currently framed. I mean, I mean, absolutely. So the man got a, a fist pop in the corner because of hallelujah there. Um, We've just got about 10 minutes to go. One thing we haven't touched on that I think is crucial is, is the language issue yeah. um, and the back and forth of what language should we be teaching people <laughs> in. Mm. So you've got a child that only speaks Vernac at home mm. and is coming in and you've got institutions that are saying no, employment and money and, and, and social capital is all in English. Mm. And if we teach the child in their mother tongue, are we robbing them of, of you know employment later on? Or are we trying to speak English to somebody who has no idea what's going on? <laughs> So I mean, I mean, I I don't even I don't even know. Atambile is like no, is already I, ready to jump in. I think it it really yeah. frustrates me that language debate because when we think of the kind of children, and I mean, not to be general or whatever, if no, I, if I think of a child, yeah. most kids are coming into schools already with two or three languages. If we think of South Africa, right? Yeah. So the language problem isn't with the child. That kid is multilingual. It's already in the system that perceives that one language should be the be all and the end all, right? Um, and this idea that we, you know, playing back and forth between bilingual and multilingual education and monolingual education, so on, because there's been so much research that shows that children who are bilingual and who that, that skill is fostered tend to do much better, Absolutely. right? Um, it, there isn't a tension. In my mind, the language problem is it, there's, it's an imagined tension, um, because of this idea of English as the be all and end all. So I think, I mean, teachers will tell you who are in the foundation, th- maybe I should say this, the biggest problem that I've seen, though, is the resources available for African mm. languages. That is mm. a conversation we seriously yeah. need to take forward. Publishers need to publish children's literature in African languages, in Tivenda, in Sepedi, in Iskosa, in, in, in Zulu, in everything. And they're doing it. I know a few publishing houses are doing it, but it's not enough. Mm. It's really not enough. And access to it. Yeah. I can't imagine having Isuzulu in an exclusive books. You know, that's not where I think most people are buying their books. It needs to be in community libraries. And it's the access for me for that. Because the problem isn't so much what happens at school. Is, is a child, whether they're being taught in English or Iskosa at school, are they getting the literacy that invo- reinforces that in a meaningful way in their everyday? So even this idea of if a, ca- a child is monolingual, English monolingual, is there an interest for them, a meaningful interest for them to become, to speak Isuzulu, to speak Sipedi, and to really embrace this idea of being a multilingual um, person in a multilingual country? And it goes back to the teachers, the attitudes that teachers have. I mean, I only started studying Isklosa, and I'm a bad example when I got to varsity, that was because of the attitudes that my primary school and high school had. But when I started having conversations about what are the possibilities of his class of the works in translation, the history of the, the texts in his class, it, it, it changes the way that you think of the language. It changes the way that you think of the options that you have. Um, and I think it has a more meaningful way of what we think of in education, what language can do for multilingualism. So it's a very boring Conversation. I think we need to get on with it already and produce the work that needs to be done and also talk to teachers in very meaningful ways about English is not the bill. Yes, we're sitting here talking in English. That's besides the point. (laughs) I think it's the irony of the situation. But if you said to me, you know, let's rattle off in other languages, I think, you know, it would be something that's possible. We're in in South Africa. There are 11 official languages for a reason. So I think we we just need to do the work. And I think it, it maybe goes back to the issue of, um, the sort of targeted approach. Mm. We've got Pencil, we've got all these institutes, but I'm not hearing enough from them. And we mm. hear about them, you know, when it comes to close to Heritage Day, because we must all embrace our extra languages because of Heritage Day, but they don't have currency mm. within mm. education, and that is so problematic. Mm. 
I mean, I, sorry, yeah, Milan. So I just want to add to what um, Atta is saying, uh, and it goes back to this broader conversation in education where we, we prefer to see things as challenges and not as opportunities. The fact that we are sitting in a nation where everyone is multilingual, anyone, anyone with any knowledge of early childhood development will tell you what an asset that is and what, a, what an intellectual resource we are sitting on. The fact that you know, you will come across someone in South Africa, you know, like an almost daily basis who speaks five languages. Outside of South Africa, that is almost unheard of. Um, that's a huge asset. And instead of treating it like an asset, we're treating it like a problem. Um, and how and do we so, get people to speak yeah. one language? <laughs> so what we should be saying is like this multilingualism in South Africa is such an asset. How do we create an education system that unleashes this opportunity? But instead we're saying like, oh, you know, um, English language, how do we enforce English language? So, and it is, I agree with Atta, it's, it is a complex and it's a, it's a, it's a very technical issue. You know, if, if I'm in Jeppe and, and people speak Tsivenda and they speak, they speak Gosa and they speak Zulu and, and, and Ndebele and whatever, like what, you know, what, I can't put all of those languages in my school. Um, so there are some technical issues, but I think, you know, those are things we can work through. Uh, where I want us to come from is the fact that this is actually a really good thing. Um, and how do we embrace that? I mean, I hear you. When you just, I like that you framed it of speaking five languages. That's, that's quite a big deal, yeah. actually. Labang, I'm curious. When you're, when you're in your community and you're teaching and, and somebody's not quite understanding that long division and they want to ex- you to explain it to them in, in their language, is that something you encourage or do you, do you try to stick to the English? How do you approach that? Um, with mathematics. Yeah. I think mathematics has its own language, mm. which is very universal. Um, I mean, when I was in America, I was just teaching in English. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like its own kind of language. Okay. Um, the issue is, is when you try to explain to a kid, like, okay, please explain again, like the word problems, but your long divisions is basically the, the art that you do on the board. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, which is easier yeah. for learners to actually engage in. Um, but I think, uh, when I was in Guiana, so good thing I went to, I went to Tsonga school. Mm. So I learned how to actually speak Tsonga. Okay. So mm. kids would actually ask me in Tsonga, then I would reply in Tsonga and English and Zulu a bit. Sure. So the issue is for them to literally get that art and reproduce it when the exam is there. Okay. Mm. Okay. Because so you just, it's not like you're just being back. clever about what is needed at the time. And I think, yeah, I think that's what Atambil and Melania say. That's what we need more yeah. of, of just what, what is needed in this situation True. for the child to learn. As long as the child can understand the yeah. content. So mm. when the assessment comes, the challenge succeeds. That's the what we want. That's what we want. Absolutely, and that's how we get from thirty percent to ninety percent. <laughs> and then another thing with with KPE is that you know we we literally tell the kids that our pass our pass mark is sixty five. So if you get like sixty four or sixty, it's a fail. So you train kids for university, not only for secondary education. You need to start looking further. So when the child gets to university, she knows, you know what, I just still need to continue with the 65 and above. So that when she wants to get into honors, when she wants to get into masters, Average counts because it's, it's a culture to her okay. from KPE. That's a bit. Okay, so you you disregard the thirty three percent. That's not. That's, that's, that's another debate. For another <laughs> that's another debate. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much to, to to all of you. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. So Melania, Tambila, Leban, Greg, thank you so much. I uh, will make sure to share all your details on our on our Twitter page, Streetlight Schools, your blog at Tambila, and of course Katlejo Pele Education. Thank you so much. Uh, to all our listeners out there, make sure to download the podcast and of course share it with all your friends. Um, we'll be back next week, same time. This is a daily Mavic show on Cliff Central. Thank you. Stay informed and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick Show, Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. on cliffcentral.com.